I've worked for the worst. I've worked for the best. I wonder when my work is done. I look toward the east. I look toward the west. I wonder when the Lord will come. I've plowed in the sun. I've toiled in the rain to buy my hungry family bread. I've hoed in the corn. I've cut down the grain. I've tried my best to get ahead. Oh, Lord, I know that the rain is bound to fall. So I'll plant my corn in the early morn. Won't you make it grow up tall? I know that I'll rest at ending of day where I will never have a care if I do my best and carry my load. I know the Lord will hear my prayer. I've got just enough for food and the rent. I think we're going to all survive. Lord, thank you for all the neighbors have since. We're holding out till you arrive. The day is so long and the pay is so lean. I'm weary at the set of sun. Lord, when will you take this working man home and let him hear you say, well done? Oh, Lord, I know that the rain is bound to fall. So I'll plant my corn in the early morn. Won't you make it grow up tall? I know that I'll rest at ending of day where I will never have a care if I do my best and carry my load. I know the Lord will hear my prayer. Lord, when will you take this working man home and let him hear you say, well done. Arnold, thank you so much. The reason you likely not heard it is Arnold wrote that. Did you did you write that? No, he did not write that. Okay. He sang it well, didn't he? So thank you very much. It was years ago when we still lived in Indiana. And I was going to preach on prejudice. 
And I had a friend in Indianapolis who owned a jewelry store, and he was from another country and spoke English, but not really well, and he looked different. And so I thought, I'm going to ask my friend Joaquin if he's ever experienced prejudice. And little did I know how long we would have to, I would have to listen for the experiences that he has had because he looked different and spoke differently in Indianapolis, Indiana. Joaquin was very successful and very wealthy, and he told me about one day when he and his wife Anna went to Macy's at a mall in Indianapolis to the fragrance counter to buy a bottle of Chanel Number no. 5. He said the sales clerk looked at them, but then looked back about what she was doing and wouldn't go over to help them. They tried to get her attention and say, we want this. And she said, that's too expensive. You can't afford it. I was hoping he was making this stuff up, but it was true. Of all the stories that he told me that day, that was the mildest of them all. Many of them I can't repeat in church. And while he and I were talking, or while I was listening and he was talking, his sons, Dennis and Jordy, both told me their stories. How people had treated them in very unkind ways. And so today we're going to talk about prejudice. Before we do that, let's pray. Lord, we're reminded at the foot of the cross we're all equal, all of us. Help us to be known for love, period. And if there's something we need to get over, help us to get over it. Father, through your spirit, we ask that you would just indwell in our lives and make us the men and women of God that you would have us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I googled and found this. The classic definition of prejudice is the one put forth by the famous Harvard psychologist Gordon Allport who published The Nature of Prejudice in 1954, and this was his definition. Prejudice is an antipathy based on faulty and inflexible generalization. It may be felt or expressed. It may be directed towards a group or an individual of that group. And it took me a while to figure out what he was trying to say. So let me give you my definition of prejudice. Prejudice is forgetting that someone is God's creation. You like that? That's it. Prejudice is forgetting someone is God's creation. And over the years, I've likely had mine, but the closer you get to God, the further away from prejudice you become. They begin to disappear. And there are so many ways that people can be prejudiced today. They find subcategories. and Let's look. It's not a new problem. We begin in Acts chapter 9. And honestly, this is a prejudice that I understand in Acts chapter 9. Beginning at verse 1, we read this. Meanwhile... Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So his job was killing Christians. 
So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way, what they called the church then, he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and children, back to Jerusalem in chains, in chains for believing in Jesus. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, we know what God did. A light from heaven suddenly shone down around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? Lord, Saul asked. The voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up, go to the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless. They heard the sound of someone's voice, but they didn't see anyone. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hands to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days. He didn't eat, he didn't drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias, and there the Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord tells Ananias. Go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man named, from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I've shown him in a vision of a man named Ananias coming and laying hands on him so he can see again. And verse 13. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. Can you identify with Ananias' prejudice? I don't want to deal with him, do you? He's licensed to kill. He's on his way there to get believers. Ananias is a believer, and he doesn't want to deal with Saul. He's prejudiced by Saul's reputation. Back to my definition. Prejudice is forgetting that someone is God's creation. Ananias forgot that Saul was a child of God, even though that Saul didn't know it yet. Little did Ananias know that Saul would become the greatest missionary the Bible ever talked about. Changed his name to Paul. And Ananias was scared to death, and God told him to get over it. And that's what I'm told, and that's what you're told, and that's what we're told, to get over it. And to remember that the person we're dealing with, who knows what they might become for the kingdom of God. Here's another example, John chapter 4. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, John the Baptist, Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He'd gone through Samaria on the way, and eventually he came to a Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. And soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. And the woman was surprised. For Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? 
she was so used to prejudice that when somebody wasn't prejudiced to her, she was shocked. Skipping to verse 27 in John 4, it says this. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. They had their prejudices too. But it says none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? These are the disciples, handpicked by Jesus to learn. And shouldn't they have gotten over their prejudice by now? But they had it. Shouldn't they know better? They didn't. It's interesting to me, though, what they thought. They thought, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? Isn't it amazing that we try to dare to tell God who he can and who he can't talk to? But we do, or we can, and that's what they're doing. Our prejudices can make us miss so much. We can miss blessing after blessing because of our attitude. The disciples should have celebrated Jesus' ministry in talking to this woman about the love of God, but instead, why are you talking to her? They forgot this woman was God's creation. Have you ever experienced prejudice? It's interesting, I was, uh, when we lived in Indiana, I had to go to the airport in Indianapolis to fly to New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina to help a church down there. And to get from Indianapolis to New Orleans, you had to fly to Chicago. And so I got upgraded in Chicago to first class, and I'd never gotten in first class for my life, in my life, and so I was, you know, didn't know what to think and I sat down and this doctor from Chicago was already on the plane and he'd been celebrating a lot in first class and so we began to talk and I asked him what do you do and he bragged about himself for the longest time and what he does and what he had and everything and when he finished he said and what what do you do <laughs> I said well I'm a Baptist preacher and it was like the plane had been hijacked all of a sudden he kind of turned pale, and he just started to think, well, I need to pay attention to my gadget now. And he starts to, I, it was like I told him I was a leper. <laughs> People are prejudiced about all sorts of things. And while we can laugh at somebody being a Georgia fan or a Georgia Tech fan or this fan or that fan, some people really don't like the other ones. They can be prejudiced over so many things. Jesus himself encountered prejudice. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 43. And by the way, Jesus still does encounter prejudice, doesn't he? Still does. The next day, John 1, 43, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida and Andrew in Peter's hometown. This is early in Jesus' ministry. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And the reply, the reply from Nathanael, Nazareth, explained Nathaniel, exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come see for yourself, Philip replied. But can't we be the same way? You're from where? Can anything good come from 
above the Mason-Dixon line? Can anything good come out of, and I don't want to mention a state because you might be from there and I have to be careful, but sometimes people are territorial in their prejudices. In Indiana, our church was in the middle of a cornfield. and um, I referred to a lady, and she's up in years now, named Liz as our Minister of International Evangelism. It started years ago when three migrant workers, I, I think they were in the area for maybe tobacco, stringing tobacco, picking tobacco. They uh, were standing outside in the parking lot just kind of looking. They looked at Liz and, and they said, can we come inside? Liz said, yeah, you can come inside. That's what it's there for. Come inside. And so they came in and for years I referred to Liz as our Minister of International Evangelism because Holton, Indiana was not a hotbed for visitors. And but instead of thinking about Liz, I probably should have thought about the three men. Why would they even ask such a question? Can we come inside? And it made me sad because it made me think, I imagine sometimes they weren't welcome somewhere. And you can't come inside. And it broke my heart. I'm glad you are here. And I don't care who you are. And I think that's what God says to us, doesn't he? Of all the places you would think, the church would be a safe harbor from such attitudes. I've been so very proud of you for your loving attitudes. And I love it every Sunday. There are people here from all over the world. And I like that. But it can happen at churches. James chapter 2 tells us this story. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? That's prejudice. For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can't stand over there or else sit on the floor, well, doesn't the discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it's good when you obey the royal law as found in scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. You're guilty of breaking the law. So how do we get there? And I think you do a good job, honestly. I'm as a church doing that but how do we get there in our everyday life every moment how do we look at everyone the same everyone with love everyone is God's creation well the first question is it how does God do it and the answer is pretty simple it's God's nature and so that needs to be my new nature that's how I need to change as he increases I decreased. Isn't that what the book says? He must increase, I must decrease. Here's one thing that God does that should really help us, and this is the last section of Scripture that we're going to look at. 
1 Samuel chapter 16. You likely know the story. The Lord said to Samuel, You've mourned long enough for Saul. I've rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask of olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there. For I've selected one of his sons to be my king. This is about to find David to anoint as king. Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. Samuel says, take a heifer with you. The Lord replied, or the Lord replies, take a heifer with you and say that you've come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice. I'll show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So God's looking for a man, a leader. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Did you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and Come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and binded them to the sacrifice too. When he arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed one, one of David's older brothers, and he looks so good. That's got to be the one. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height. I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by the outward appearance, and they do, don't they? But the Lord looks at the heart. I love that. The Lord looks at the heart. And so today he looks at your heart and he looks at my heart to see how we are with his creation. It's so important to get over what our eyes tell us and to really to listen to what God is telling us. Years ago, I came up with a phrase, good prejudice. Good prejudice, let me explain. I think I might have told you this story. It's one of my favorites. I was fairly new at this church in Indiana, so it would have been in the late 90s. And one of the deacons in the church took me to visit this lady. Helen and I became friends. A few years passed, and Helen's memory began to fail, and her children had to put her in a memory unit in a long-term care facility. She had forgotten her children and her church. and She didn't know anybody anymore. And it was hard to go see her because, well, after I left, she didn't remember I was there and she didn't remember me. And, but one time when I was at this, in Columbus, Indiana, where they'd put her, I went to see Helen and we visited and there was nothing. But I'm leaving her apartment and I'm at the door and I'm reaching for the knob and I remember this vividly and I go to leave and she says, I love you. Come back and see me. And it hit me like a bolt of lightning there. She didn't know who I was, but she loved me. That's the answer to prejudice. That's good prejudice. I don't know who you are, but I love you. And you're welcome here. What kind of a world would this be if we would like be like that? I don't know who you are, but I love you. More staggering than that, God knows who you are. Everything about you. And he loves you. We should be a grateful people. Let's pray together.
Lord, thank you for the gift of love that overcomes any obstacle. Forgive us if we still have any prejudice in our heart towards anyone, any group, any category. Help us to see everyone as your creation. Help us to look at hearts. Help us to look at a world that needs Jesus. And Father, help us to be known by love in a world that, well, that is rare. But God, you have called us to be your children. And thank you for that privilege. Thank you for loving us. Give us the strength to love others. Help it to be contagious in a world that needs love. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. God bless you this week as you show good prejudice.